Lights on for Luxon. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Pain for some. I'm not going to hide that uh, disappointment. Adrenaline for others. Kia ora. One News Inside Parliament. Welcome to One News Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Benedict Collins. So let's start off with our pits and our peaks, or interesting points of the last week. Who wants to kick off? Yeah, I mean, I'm freshly back from over in Dubai and um, glad to be back uh, as part of the podcast. I know that you and Benedict did it last week, so I'm really happy just to be back into the groove of things with you. Miss the team um, and also miss just being able to have a chat and and, um, chew the fat on the big political issues. And gosh, there have been many, so I'm looking forward to diving into it. Uh, But just a note on that, that even though Mikey was away in MIQ during um, some big political stories, she was still chipping in and making calls and writing copy and things. So even though she was kind of like, um, you know, at large reporting from the field. So it was actually really good having having her still chipping in. There's nothing quite like being stuck in an MIQ hotel room (laughs) and trying to keep up with the leadership spills and all of those things happening back at Parliament um, and via Twitter. So that's the best platform to do it. Yeah. Bit of FOMO though? Oh, definitely FOMO. Like, definitely FOMO hard. And my peak for the week, and this is awesome having Mikey back because I've straight up stolen this from her. She's put out this tweet this morning. There's a story about Finland's Prime Minister, who's 36 years old. She went out clubbing until 4am. She left her work phone at home, and therefore she was unable to be reached by health authorities who wanted to let her know that she needed to go into quarantine because Finland's Foreign Minister had come down with COVID. So that is a pretty impressive effort from Finland's PM. We should really ask our Prime Minister today if she still goes out clubbing till 4am. I don't know if I'd have it in me anymore. eh? Honestly, I felt like a lot of people's lives would have been validated from just seeing that. It's like, yes, we can still hit the clubs till 4am and still be, you know, work professionals. Yeah. (laughs) Um, My high this week was um, the energy and not quite of a club, energy and hype, but sitting in the debating chamber, you could feel the energy pulsing uh, when Luxon came up to do his first questions. And it was really cool because we haven't had them in the debating chamber for a long time. And just being in there, um, it, you really got a sense of occasion and the grandeur of the debating chamber and the theatre. And that was really, that was fun. That was a highlight for me. What about any, actually my pitch relates to that too, um, came out of the um, <clears throat> Luxon um watching him do his questions, walked out, was writing my opinion piece in my head, caught my heel on the marble steps of Parliament and slipped down three steps, um, landing in front of um, the very kind security guard and two DPS at at Parliament. So not my finest moment. A little bit sore because I'm getting a bit old too. So um, that that was my low for the week. I don't think I've ever tripped on the marble floors at Parliament before, but I was clearly so distracted. Head over heels for Luxon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it was, there was a real sense of atmosphere, right? And even the whole press gallery watching down was like packed out. And, and when he lost his place, and I know it wasn't Ooh, for that long, yeah. but it felt like an eternity. Oh, it did. And when he got his questions, oh, it was just excruciating. Oh. Yeah. It was like watching kids in a school play when they've got a solo. That's how I felt like that. Ooh, I'm quite invested in this, and it's a little bit tough. So I don't know. But it, 
yeah, also, though, it was a pretty cool week in the house. There's been some good shots across the yeah. both sides of the house. Yeah. But I, kind I, of I liked Grant Robertson's first hit back at um, Simon Bridges, <laughs> National's new finance spokesperson, when he said, you know, is he, um, I think he's getting had up about like predictions for the economy or something and Grant came back with oh, I'm sure as you could understand you know sometimes numbers shift around quite quickly well, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed good. that quite the baptism of fire for Luxon in the house there yeah. with that little yeah. um, that little stumble uh, but he has gone back to strength but in terms of my pit um, before we move on to, to getting even deeper into all of those national party um, happenings my pit I guess is just I feel like I'm losing sense of time and I think it's just because it's been such a big few weeks for all of us and I feel like everyone across the country probably feels this way so I'm, I'm saying this in empathy with you our listeners um, that you know it's Christmas coming up we've got parties coming out of our ears in terms of the festive season I haven't brought any presents yet I'm worried about Christmas just being around the corner if you're feeling me can I get an amen Amen. And we're we're doing that (laughs) slow final crawl to the finish line of the working, you know, sort of year. And I'm like crawling, man. I'm crawling and we're almost there. And we're crawling having sprinted through the year with COVID and then... They're like, I'll just run around the block again for the leadership stuff. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I'm so tired. that yeah. It's just it's just been massive. And the leadership stuff was really fun because it's, you know, pure politics and it's back to kind of our roots again. But I, I'm Friday. Yeah, it just, that adrenaline has to go somewhere, eh? Yeah, And yeah. it's going up against the wall. Well, speaking of adrenaline, um, some people would have been feeling it with excitement and some people would have feeling, been feeling it with... Um, pain and suffering when they got the news from Christopher Luxon about their shadow cabinet position. So let's talk about some of the things that stood out for you guys. Um, we've kind of been through the the winners and the losers, but what were your key takeaways? Do you want to start, Benedict? Yeah, I guess I, I think just another fascinating kind of, I was thinking about this earlier in the week, another kind of fascinating turn for Todd Muller, right? Uh, this week, he's back in, he's back in, back in the caucus. He's unresigned or signalled his intention to stand again in his electorate seat. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago he led National to the spectacular collapse. His colleagues all turned on him, booted him out of caucus for, you know, not even backstabbing, but just kind of briefing a a reporter about a colleague. You're out in the wilderness, you take off from Parliament again, you're not seen in a long time. All of a sudden, you know, you're back in the fold. Just incredible twists and turns in Todd Muller's career. Another thing that stood out for me, I guess, was probably Michael Woodhouse. Um, and and how upset he was, um, you know, with where he was placed. You know, a real fall from uh, down the ranking list for for um, Michael Woodhouse. But you, you said in the in the stand up, he looked quite sort of shaken. Yeah, right? and I think I actually really admired his honesty because it's not easy as a politician, and mm. it's actually really brutal. Um, you just get a massive demotion, and then hey come and talk about it in front of the media. And he fronted up, he said, his first answer was sort of a little bit like, oh, you know, that's life, da-da-da. And then I said to him, oh, look, you know, you said to your local paper that you were pretty disappointed. And he was like, yeah, actually, I can't get over the fact that you want to go up in your career. I went down. And, you know, that's life. You sometimes, especially in politics, you if you um, associate yourself with the person who doesn't get into leadership, you are often punished for that. And these guys are experienced guys. And sometimes, you know, the people like him and, and David Bennett and 
um, some of those others that slipped down quite a bit. That's that's tough, you know. He Todd would, McClay. Todd McClay, he was the third yeah. one that I was thinking of. Um, and, I, I, yeah, I actually think for Michael Woodhouse to come out and just be honest about it, I think that was the best way to handle it. Yeah, and someone who didn't just come out and handle it was um, Judith Collins, who, despite indications, she, she didn't come back to Parliament this week after being... Um, you know, sacked by a caucus as leader last week, and it sounds like um, Christopher Luxon's given her the rest of the year off. Mm. That's have, probably have, a, good have a bit move. of a breather, right? Yeah, yeah it's probably yeah. a good move. I mean, she's had a rough. You know, she came in, you know, um, hot on the heels of you know a, a disaster in Todd Muller, and she basically had to carry the party through a really tough election. And you know, you could say from the start, it was you know it was it was a struggle for her. It was it was tough. There was always sort of questions around whether or not she was really hitting um, the messaging and and the right notes with the public. And then there was always whispers around coups and you know the rise of um, the return perhaps of bridges. So it, I think she's gone through the ringer a little bit. So to have a break is probably a good thing. And it also just kind of clears the air for Luxon to be the focus as opposed to Collins and what she thinks you know as the ousted leader. Um, the other thing that I was thinking is that, you know, so we've spoken about those who have fallen from grace, or not grace, but been demoted, um, and then those who have risen in the ranks. And you could say, you know, for Nicola Willis and Chris Bishop, who were key members of the Todd Muller coup, Bishop being the numbers man and both of them doing the numbers, you know, finally they have a leader who might actually be able to pull it off. So they did all the work to flip you know, the, the leadership and, and oust bridges, get their man in. He just couldn't do it. Hopefully now they've got that in Christopher Luxon and they've been rewarded in positions. They've got positions that allow them to really try to enjoy it and support that happening. And so, I think it also it seems like a really good combination because what Luxon lacks is um, time on the ground in the, in the halls of power. Nicola Willis has that. Um, that pure political nous and instinct and minutiae in the debating chamber, Chris Bishop has that. Um, the <clears throat> slightly more conservative um, religious approach, those two are quite liberal. Um, so I just think the what he his weaknesses are compensated by the people he's got sitting in those top three. You know, lack of diversity. He's a white older white man. He's got Simon Bridges there who brings a bit of diversity of thought there. So I do think he's done a good job of perhaps surrounding his inner circle with people who are um, who who make up for his weaknesses and I think that's what that's what good leadership is, right? Yeah, yeah. and it just kind of goes back to that point about Tom Muller as well, what a fascinating kind of industry or, or career being in politics can be because you can lead these disastrous coups and, and, and you know just over a year later you're in these top positions all over again right it's quite a can be quite Cyclical, a forgiving yeah and such a crucial place. move I think to have Simon Bridges as your finance as your number three he obviously still had quite a lot of sway and influence within the caucus he was a real threat to Judith Collins and so keeping him right by your side you know keep your friends close and your enemies closer um, Christopher Luxon won't have to ever worry about Simon Bridges really uh, again because he's given him such a sweet spot, what he wanted, and so it's in Simon Bridges' best interest to make this work. And on Caucus Run this week, right, it was just, uh, and I know he didn't turn up to the um, the announcement of him being made um, finance spokesperson last week in Tauranga where Christopher Luxon had gone because his son had been in that um, playground 
accident, you know, and been been injured and taken to hospital. But this week it was really interesting on Caucus Run. Simon Bridges came out, boom, he's straight into his portfolio, right? He wants to take on Grant Robertson. He's never he's, looked better in the House. He's never yeah, looked he, more he's confident. Just straight into it, yeah. right? Um, straight, you know, given this new really important role, and bang, he's way. Yeah, and I just think looking at him, particularly yesterday, um, <clears throat> he's just, he's flying. And he looked as though a weight had been lifted off his shoulders. He was, I don't know what was happening when he was leader, but whatever it was, that he was shining in a way he never has as leader, and I thought it was really good. He was having fun, and maybe that's part of it. Yeah. I don't know. Another big move, Ray, Erica Stanford. Yeah. Right up, education, portfolio, yeah. rewarded for you know, performing well in her, in her other portfolios. Yeah. yeah, and she did. she's done a lot of hustling behind the scenes. She worked really hard in the immigration portfolio. You've done several stories with her. I did several stories with her. She's a, yeah, she's a pretty impressive woman, she's a mother of two, it's that generational shift as well I think um, with some of those guys Yeah and definitely in terms of Simeon Brown still keeping part of that sort of conservative um, voice in that mm. top 10 mix um, he's also a really hard worker obviously just couldn't quite get the cut through despite all of his hard work in that police portfolio, I think transport will be um, better for him and going up against Michael Wood who is, who is very clever and very kind of in, a, a and a, a minister who is into the minutiae and the detail, um, Simeon will will, comp- will kind of challenge him on that same front. And I think it's good to have um, Mark Mitchell in the police portfolio, especially when you have a minister who isn't performing that strongly as in Porto Williams in that police portfolio. I think she will find real trouble going up against Mark Mitchell there. Yeah, and he brings, of course, that experience of having been a police dog handler as a, as a career previously, right? So he's got that kind of that inside connection with the police as well. Let's talk about um, Christopher Luxon's performance the other day because he th- that was his first time up. We've touched on it a bit with his pause and his sort of little stumble there. But I do feel like yesterday he found his feet a bit too. And I think, I, I mean, part of me, you know, we've been asking all these questions about, you know, your, your lack of experience and yada, yada, and people are like, oh, yeah, but he's running in New Zealand. Um, you know, he's, he's no schmuck. And you're like, of course... But what is difficult to communicate to people is that, like the place, Parliament is such a weird place. It's like a church, it's like a school. There's all these unwritten rules and you have to learn the theatre of the debate. And you have to learn when you can be quick, when you can push the speaker, when you can't, the one-liners, all of that kind of stuff. And I think... It was maybe watching him make that stumble with the reading of the questions. Yeah, it's not a big deal. But it just shows you had 20 journalists staring down watching your every move. You had 120 faces turned towards you, judging your slight shaking hand. And it's just, welcome to the big time, my friend. This is what politics is about. And it's not like running a business. Yeah, what I also thought was, was good, from Lux and from National last week. You know, I thought that first 24, 48 hours for him, you know, a lot of those interviews, digging into his religion, uh, you know, uncomfortable questions he's having to answer about his religion, about those investment properties, they just kept moving. You know, the, the next day they were up in, on the Viaduct Harbour and he's going around, he's meeting businesses and shaking hands and hearing, you know, we've got our cameras out with him, he's hearing firsthand from all the the bar owners and, and um, hospitality hospitality workers who are really struggling you know and, and just cannot fathom why they were at the at the red light right when uh, given 
you know, what supposedly where the red light should be, it shouldn't be in at the moment. Obviously, the government says, hey, we have a transition period before we actually start moving towards what it, what it will be with green, orange, and red. Um, but yeah, I just thought he hit the ground running and he's kept doing that. I think today's down in Christchurch, you know, day after day, they're rolling out more ideas. He's in front of the cameras. He's, he's, he's and he's meeting New Zealanders, right? Which is what, yeah. which is what the yep. big part of this job is. And I think that match fit thing of working seven days a week, you know, and that's maybe where Muller, I mean, obviously he was a career man and work, used to working very hard, but you have to be work fit to work that long for, yeah, you know. Definitely. And one of the other sort of big areas I think that um, Luxon will need to consider going forward is his position and the direction in which he takes the party when it comes to Māori. Māori issues and, and that sort of thing, which can lead a lot of politicians into, you know, hot water and, and tricky, it's a tricky area to navigate, right? So he really needs to be quick and figure out where he's going to go with that. If he is the protege of, you know, the likes of Sir John Key. Sir John Key was, and in, in, um, Bill English were very clever about being able to form relationships with Māori and, and make advancements in that area without completely selling the house, um, so they were able to sort of maintain their positions on things like no one owns water. And, you know, I remember asking John Key, do you think that there should be some Māori elements to the, any kind of new flag for New Zealand? And he, you know, very happily was like, no, I don't think so. But then they were still able to form a really strong relationship with the likes of the iwi chairs and advance as many treaty settlements as any other government. So they knew when to give and take. And they were lucky in that they had the Māori party there in Dame Tariana Turia and Sir Peter Sharples to help them navigate that. I mean, this is a national government, and it was, that you know introduced this new, bold idea of whānau order. They first funded it, it came from them. And that's the kind of bold moves that, you know, I think that there is opportunity to be made there for national in the Māori space. Um, I just hope that they really think about the direction in which they they, they they lead it. And because he's already tripped up on a few things, like on Q&A with Jack Tame, calling it Matarangi instead of Matariki and not being able to name, you know, how many stars were part of the cluster and things like that. So it really needs to sharpen up on that point and really figure out where they stand when it comes to Māori issues. On that, um, his wife, has d- just finished a university Tadeo course, which I thought was a fun fact. Um, I questioned him about how his Tadeo was, and he said, "Look, I've been trying to um, look for a tutor and haven't been able to find one." But I guess at least that's on his radar um, of that he needs to, if he wants to be prime needs minister, to you've, you've mm. got to upskill, and you've got that's such a key element. And I think um, that he perhaps should have been spending the last year doing a bit more of that. Um, well, he's still in. calling the Māori Health Authority separatists, which was obviously yeah. a Judith Collins position. Yeah. And I don't know if that was very clever of him to to jump on that bandwagon yeah. where he could have been a bit more nuanced and sort of invite a bit, you know, broaden the church a little bit than, than what was under Judith Collins. So yeah. I just think they need to be more strategic in that area. Um, talking of strategic, our foreign minister went to the Middle East and... Mikey Sherman was released into the world um, to go where no journalist has gone for a very, very long time (laughs) overseas. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what it was about, what you were doing over there, and we'll 
use that as our sort of wrapping up? Yeah, so um, how lucky was I to be able to get on a plane and ditch this place um, and go overseas, which is quite the novelty in, in the current climate. Um, so went over there for the World Expo hosted in Dubai. They poured in $7 billion to create this World Expo experience, um, which includes 192 countries, and New Zealand is obviously one of them. Uh, and the Minister of Foreign Affairs is part of her sort of seven country tour, the first time she's been able to go overseas, Nanaia Mahuta stopped off in Dubai, visited the World Expo, also there at the same time was an indigenous festival of ideas and um, Māori were co-hosting that alongside the government, um, so bringing together different indigenous peoples from around the world discussing shared challenges and shared aspirations, um, including trade, including trade between indigenous peoples like Māori and the indigenous Emirati of Dubai and the UAE. So it was fascinating just to get over there, and I think it was beneficial. Yeah, that's really cool. Was it a culture shock? Oh, what was it like? It wasn't really a culture shock for me because I am, you know, obviously Māori, and so you're kind of used to having, you know, tikanga and, you know, that they do things in a certain way and, and they have their kākahu, their traditional clothing, and so while we don't, you know, only wear them on the kapaka stage nowadays, but, you know, it's kind of not, not that much of a culture shock. I think the fear of COVID was certainly there on the way over um, and wondering if you're being stupid or if it's totally safe to be going over double vaccinated into a country that also has high levels of you know vaccination when I got there it was you know those fears kind of melted away it felt very safe it was very different um, to the sort of lockdowns and the borders that we have back here but I guess that just kind of shows that we have a long way to go in order to get our vaccine rates up in order to ease restrictions so get vaccinated. Just out of interest did you feel when you came back to New Zealand did you feel a bit of relief? like when you landed back here or not really? I felt relief when I finally got my day nine test because you'd obviously yeah. had like a dozen tests you know, before and then while in MIQ and then you had that final test before you're allowed back out into the community and then to have that negative, it's like, phew, all right. We oh. went and we conquered and we came back and we're and, COVID free. And yeah. we're Omicron free. Yeah, yeah, and we're yeah. free. But no, in terms of Nanaia Mahuta, I think what was fascinating as Foreign Minister is just how she is using uh, her taha Māori, te rohanga Māori, to um, influence that foreign space, which she said to me in a sit-down interview has tradi traditionally been very non-Māori, has been quite white, you know, um, foreign affairs. And, and male. And male, and uh, which will not come as a surprise to anyone, but it's interesting to see that that part of her strategy in that portfolio is to brown it up a little bit, is to kind of introduce, um, and, and not that it wasn't there before perhaps, but certainly not valued in the way in which she feels it should be, the, the benefits and the possibilities that could come from New Zealand's Indigenous nature and our, that kind of brand that add on to our brand of New Zealand Inc and it you know it can help open doors and things like that. It's a really nice place to leave it. Mm. Um, really interesting stuff and great stories that you sent back. We enjoyed living a tiny taste of it through your Instagram and through your stories. <laughs> yeah. It was really cool. And um, was it the joyride? Diplomatic joyride. Diplomatic yeah. joyride yeah. that Nanaia Mahuta went on with um, with her foreign affairs her... counterpart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That was cool. So fun. So this was One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering. We're on the Gram, Twitter and Facebook. It's available 
every week on One News Online and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. See you next week. <laughs>